We read this scripture as to not forget where we've come from and where we are going. That is towards Jesus. Take a moment to speak it out loud over your life, your family, and our world. Now let's read together. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Welcome to Faith Church. We are thrilled you're here. If I haven't had a chance to, to meet you personally, my name is Matthew. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're glad that you took a little bit of your time to join us here in person or, of course, there online. We've been this summer studying a book of the Bible known as 1 Corinthians. It's in the New Testament, so if you have a printed copy of Scripture, go ahead and turn and flip to 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to be in chapters 8, 9, and 10 today. If uh, you've got a digital phone or tablet, go ahead and pull it out. Uh, click onto faithchurchks.org. You can follow along on the central hub right there. And um, we're, we're, we're in the part, kind of right in the midway part of this book. And uh, the Apostle Paul has been writing. In the first part of the book, he's really been kind of correcting some of their behavior, some of their thinking, some of the things that they've been doing that hasn't been God-honoring, it hasn't been helpful, and he's been bringing some correction to how they've been doing life. And now in chapter 7, he, he turned a corner and began to answer some of their questions that they wrote into him about. It's kind of like Sunday Night Live coming up next Sunday, where you can write your questions and your pastoral team here at the church is going to take some time and answer your questions, because we all have questions. And when we ask questions, we have an opportunity to learn and grow and expand our understanding. And so uh, some of you, you need to ask some questions that maybe have come up as we've been studying 1 Corinthians. We talked about uh, dating and relationships and marriage last Sunday. I know some of you have some questions because some of you need some help still in those areas. So you need to ask your questions and we can kind of work some things out together. Uh, but you may have a question as it relates to this, this stuff. I we want you to submit those questions and join us next Sunday night for the broadcast. You'll find it right there on our central hub where you can get your questions answered. And this is what the church in Corinth was doing. They had written and getting some questions that they had about life, about following Jesus, about how best to do this the right way. And Paul was answering their questions. In fact, in chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's really addressing the topic of Christian freedom. Freedom in Christ. Things that you are free and able to do because Jesus set you free. Because he paid a price, because he is Lord, because he is Savior. It, it, you don't have to live the way the rest of the world lives. There are some freedoms that we have because we follow Jesus because of what he's done for us and and in our Christian life there are certain areas that are a little bit gray certain topics that maybe the Bible isn't explicitly clear about where it requires a little bit of personal interpretation where it requires you to have a relationship with God and you submitting your whole life to Jesus walking in a way that honors him, and it may look a little bit different in your context than in my context. It may look a little bit different in somebody's context who lives in a different part of the world than maybe what it looks like. And there are some of these biblical things that 
aren't clear in Scripture, and it gives room for you to make a personal decision about it in your own way, your own viewpoint. And there are certain things that used to not be permissible, but now are permissible. There there were some of those things as it related to to the early life. And Paul uses these topics of uh, food, festivals, funding of ministry and ministers, fitness, falling away and making your own mistakes, fears, and freedoms. He uses these topics and examples from their culture, from their context, to help create a more biblically-centered filter to help you make decisions on personal matters that are different on how you would respond than maybe how the person next to you might respond. Because we don't all live in the exact same context. We don't all have the same scenarios in our life. We don't all have the same weaknesses in our life. You, we don't all have the same strengths about our life. And it's not always one size fits all. And Paul was using these topics to kind of expound and help us understand what is a good Christian ethic, what is a good filter or a way to think about how you make decisions in your day in and day out life. How do you order your life? What are the priorities of your life? What are are the right ways of going about these things? And and he begins to answer some questions, and, and I think he sets it up really well in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1, these first three verses are, are really the, the main ones we're going to look at today, but I'm going to reference several throughout these, these three chapters. He goes on, he, he says this in verse 1. Now, uh, about food sacrificed to idols. We know that, quote unquote, we all possess knowledge. It, just a real quick show of hands, how many of you know what 2 plus 2 is? Go ahead, hands. Hands are there online. I want to see your hands. You know what 2 plus 2 If your neighbor does not have their hand up, they are refusing to participate. It is obvious, or they need to go back to grade school. Like one, one or the other. Either they have an issue of stubbornness, and we're going to deal with that. No, I'm just kidding. Like, we all have some knowledge. You know some things. But you don't know everything. Oh, no, 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 no. Your wife has taught you that she knows everything. And she does. I know, I know, I know, I know. Your husband never misread a map. I know, I know. He's perfect with directions. I know. We all have knowledge, he goes on, he says, he says, but knowledge puffs up. Makes you arrogant. Could use some other words, but I won't. It's church. But knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge puffs yourself up. While knowledge looks at somebody else and says, I actually want to help build you up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought. But whoever loves God is known by God. Knowing some stuff is good. It's good to know some stuff. 
But it is not more important than loving God and being known by Him. There are some things that you really do know. I know, I know. Some of you, you know you've got a lot of knowledge. You've done your research. You know that the vaccine is not okay to take. You know, you've done your research. You've got articles and buttons and stickers and your Facebook tells me so. (laughs) And you know it, you know it. And then there are others of you in this room, you know without a shadow of a doubt that those who don't get the vaccine are idiots and morons and the problem with society. And you know it because you've got articles and public figures to tell you that too. You know it. You know it. Y'all know some stuff. And y'all know some stuff on the same issue, but seemingly y'all know different stuff. (laughs) Well, which one is it, Pastor? But whoever loves God is known by God. That's which one it is. Aren't you going to give us an answer? No, I'm going to give you a filter on how to make decisions to live a life that honors God. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Is that you need to walk with a little bit more love and grace and understanding in your life that helps people realize that you are known by God, loved by God, and help them know God, rather than know your political opinion, your priorities, your your own purpose, and your own preference. There's a greater way. And sometimes what you know is getting in the way of who you should be knowing. Christian freedom is seen best in what we do to serve others, not in what we do for ourselves. Let me say it one more time. Your Christian freedom is seen best in what we do to serve others. That's where it's best seen. People are best seeing Christian freedom in the way you live in a way that serves others as opposed to the way you live to serve yourself. Paul was pastorally trying to walk through various cultural complexities to the church in Corinth. A lot of cultural complexities. And those cultural complexities require nuanced conversation, not broad sweeping statements. We live in a day where there is some cultural complexity to which we navigate every single day. Am I right? Yes or yes? And it requires, friends, a little bit more nuanced, compassionate conversation as you wade into these cultural complexities. It's easy to turn a snapshot of what you see and write the entire story, the backstory and future story based on that one snapshot that you see. And we do this in our lives. We do this in the church. 
We take a snapshot of somebody that we see in some place doing one thing, wearing one thing, saying one thing, and we now take this snapshot, and then we go ahead and turn in, and all we really have is a snapshot. We're not really sure what we're seeing is actually right, but we go ahead and fill in a whole entire backstory about her and her man and their kids and how they live in and what they do with their money and why they did what they did, and you know their motives, you know their intentions, and you know everything about it because all you got really was a snapshot. I'll tell you the story. There, it was a book I read several years ago called Less Clutter, Less Noise. It was actually a book about communications and how, how to be good at communications. And the author is telling the story about uh, her time in church. And she was in church one day. And this is her church. She loved the church. It was a wonderful church. And they, they, there was a, a family that came and sat down, a mom and dad and a young boy. And this young boy came and sat next to them and put on some headphones and immediately got out a personal gaming device and started to proceed playing video games the entire service. And this lady was sitting there, and she's like, don't they know? Don't they know that this is church? Like, she's having this internal dialogue. Like, don't they know how to, like, don't they know that there's kids' ministry for kids? And we do. We have a great kids' ministry. We love our kids' ministry. Faith Kids is wonderful here at Faith Church. If you have never allowed your children to experience Jesus on their level, they really should be able to experience Jesus on their level. It's wonderful. It's available in our 930 service. We have online experiences for your children and in their second service. There's another opportunity for your children to come and worship with you. And it's a wonderful thing. And she was having this argument within her. And she was, she was perturbed. It was distracting her from worshiping her God. She was having this wrestling match, wrestling match, wrestling match. And she's like, ah. Say something. And she leans over to the little boy, and she was surprised by what comes out of her mouth. She goes, "Hey, if you've not beaten the boss yet, I've got a secret on how you can beat him." And began to strike up a friendship with this little boy. And later, she recounts the story after talking to the parents. The minute she leaned over, the parents took a deep breath inside of them and said, "Oh, great! Here we go again." See, they had been from church to church to church. And every time they brought their young boy into the sanctuary, they got dirty looks from all the people who were seasoned Christians. And didn't they know that there was a better way to respond and how to behave? And don't they know that children aren't allowed in the presence of God and they belong somewhere else? And don't they know this? And, and they went from church to church to church. But what you don't understand is this little boy was severely autistic. Everybody was judging and jumping to conclusions and making statements based on a snapshot, but they didn't actually know the whole story. I wonder how many people have been wounded by my Christianity because I made a judgment statement based on a snapshot when I didn't know the whole story. I wonder how many people in your life got turned off to the life-giving message of Jesus because you made some things based on a snapshot. You didn't know the whole story. Be because there's often more going on than what we see. Friends, when it comes to our life and our life of faith and following God, there are easily two ditches that we can land in when we're on the path and road to a holy life and Christian living. The road of living out our Christian freedoms and, and, and holy living where there's not clear biblical commands on certain things, but there's a lot of personal convictions and opinions and, and, and preferences on things. This road of holy living 
there are two ditches that we end up in. The first ditch that we end up in is lawlessness. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, how lawlessness is basically, it's not ignoring the law. It's not saying that you don't believe the law. It's simply saying you write your own laws for how you live your life. Lawlessness. And then the other ditch is legalism, which adds lots of, of rules and lists of things of which you need to do in order to earn something, in order to stay holy and be holy and be loved by God and accepted by God and welcomed into the people of God. There are certain legal things that you need to do. And both of them are ditches. And many of us right now are driving down the road trying to pursue Christ, trying to live a holy life, trying to live a God-honoring life, and you've got multiple tires already in one of these ditches. I've been in both ditches in my life. In fact, the longer I went pursuing personal freedoms with no real personal discipline to anchor me, I found myself sinning and justifying it more and more. And many of my friends post-Bible college found themselves never recovering a robust faith simply because they stalled because of their selfishness in their, in their journey and self-desire was their highest aim instead of self-discipline living for God. I've lived with legalism. Acting as if the more right I did, the more holy, right, and righteous I was. I lived with rules that weren't really rules given by God, but rules given by man, and I treated them as if they were God's command. And I tried to hold people to a standard that God didn't even hold them to. I've lived in both ditches, friends. I think... For, for much of my, for, 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 for a good portion of my life, I remember legalism was all about building fences for me. And, and, and this was what the Pharisees did. They built fences around the certain laws and the commands of God. They, they built more fences to keep people from getting anywhere close to transgressing the laws of God. It goes something like this. Uh, let me use this as an example, a metaphor, if you will, a little parabolic illustration. Uh, the way fence building goes is something like this. There is a rule that says don't play in the middle of the road. Why? Because playing in the middle of the road can be very dangerous and nobody needs to get killed by a car. Good rule. In fact, most of the rules from God, his, his commands are there to protect you from more destruction. That's really what they're there for. He's trying to protect you from absolutely ruining and destroying your life. That's why the laws are there. But here's what the Pharisees do. They say, it's not good. We don't want anybody playing in the street. They might die. So here's the rule. Don't uh, only play in the front yard. That's the rule. Only play in the front yard. But that's not the rule. The rule was don't play in the street. But they made the rule, don't play in the front yard. If you play in the front yard, you're really, really close to the, to the street. And if you get close to the street, you might die. So don't get anywhere close to the street, just play in the front yard. In fact, no, 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 better yet, why don't you only play in the backyard? Because then you can't even see the street. Then the street is not a temptation. Then you're not worried. Your evil desires won't lead you astray. Just kill all your desires and play in the backyard instead. No better yet, here's the better rule. There's no outside playing, only indoors, recreation allowed. Only indoor recreation, because that's how we can honor God and keep everyone safe. No, better yet, I don't want you, uh, when you're inside, there's one more rule that you need to have, and that's you need to pull the shades down, because I don't need your lust for playing in the road to cause you to stumble. So go ahead and draw the shades so you don't even see the road. 
In fact, don't even, you know what? Uh, not one more rule. Uh, number four B is actually, it's not that you need the shades drum, but you're not allowed to have TV because on TV, people play in the, in the yard. And if you see people playing in the yard, it's gonna create all sorts of desires. Your eyeballs, you're gonna have to pluck them out. It's gonna be a bad deal. You just go ahead and no TV, no light from the outside. In fact, just sit there, knit, memorize scripture and play the piano and then we'll all be good. And the only time you leave is to get food and, of course, going to church. That's really, really good. Fence after fence after fence around multiple rule after multiple rule after multiple rule. And you live your life fully cumbered by things that God never said to really do. And we think that these good practices... And though they are there for a good reason, we elevate them to the same level as biblical command. Personal conviction is different than biblical command. And there's a distinction. There's a distinction. In fact, I believe spiritual maturity is being able to hold personal conviction and biblical commands in the proper context. There needs to be a time where we understand personal conviction is okay, it's good, it is though personal. And there are biblical commands that God says, here's the command, don't do it, it's wrong, it's not good. Things like, uh, I'll go here, alcohol. Alcohol. Is it a sin to drink alcohol? No, it's a sin to get drunk. But some of you can't handle just one drink. So for you, there needs to be a, bit, a personal conviction that says, I'm not going to touch this stuff because I have an addictive personality and it will get out of hand quickly. That is a personal conviction you need to hold on to. But that's not a biblical command that everybody else needs to be judged according to. There's, there's a balance. There's... We have to hold them in, in both places. We have to understand the context and the personal conviction and the reality and why we do certain things. I think we need to understand not to remove offense until you know why it was there in the first place. Uh, I think about things like church clothing. There was once a time where it was the expectation and perhaps even the demand that you would dress a certain way in order to attend church. Obviously, we have a little bit more freedom here at Faith Church than maybe what you thought. Why did they used to do that? Because for them, there was a motive that says, I want to bring my absolute best towards God. That was their motive. But it quickly became, if you don't dress this way, you're not worthy enough. And it became a fence and a stumbling block. And Paul is writing all through chapter 8, 9, and 10. Listen, listen, you've done this thing, and it was good for a season. It may be right in a, in a motive, but it's created a stumbling block for your brothers and sisters, and you're causing problems that you don't need to cause. It's time to back up. And some of you keep tripping yourself up because you think you have a freedom, but you're too weak to enjoy that freedom right now, and you need to change some of your personal convictions so that you can start living in the right direction, have a little bit more strength in your faith, a little bit more understanding, and you need to remove temptations because that temptation is killing you right now. And that's where you're at. 
And the reality is spiritual maturity is being able to hold both at the same time. Listen, Christian living requires that the leather of the law, the actual thing that we do, and the spirit behind the law, why is it there in the first place? The letter of the law and the spirit of the law both be filtered through a proper lens. What's that lens? The law of love. That's the lens. Because those who love God, they're known by God. Friends, can I, can I be real honest? I really, really wish the Bible was really, really clear on every cultural issue that we face today. That would make my job so much easier. I, I wish it was just like, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong, this is right. And it does on many things. Well, why didn't God do it that way? You want, can, can I give you my personal opinion? Not my pastoral opinion. Just my personal opinion for a second as to why I don't think God spelled out everything in exact detail for us. Personal opinion. Agree, disagree, just my personal opinion. The reason why I don't think that he did was because then we would substitute a relationship with God for just the law of God again. And instead of getting to know God personally, we would just become robots living according to the rule of God. And we have a tendency to turn the laws of God into weapons against man, and that's not good either. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. And if you're not taking notes, you might want to write this down. I think we always need to submit our personal freedoms. And by personal freedoms, I also mean your American freedoms. Your personal freedoms, your preferences, and your convictions need to be submitted to Jesus. It's really, really cliche, and it's really, really throwback, but these bracelets, what would Jesus do, is a great question you need to ask yourself before you post your next meme on Facebook. It's a great, great thing to, to ask yourself before you breach a subject with somebody that's annoying you. It's a great question to ask. What would Jesus do in this moment? What would Jesus do? What would, what, what would he do? I know it's throwback. I know it's cliche. I, I, I know it's like all Christianese, whatever, but that kind of stuff is coming back trendy anyways. And I just want us to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Why? Because Jesus walked the perfect balance between grace and truth. In other words, his truth or his, his conviction never outgrew his compassion. And his compassion never outweighed his convictions. What would he do? What does the law of love require of you? Jesus was the incarnate embodiment of the love of God living in the world in, in the direct obedience and perfect submission to God. How do we want to live our life? In complete and wonderful, full submission to God Almighty. That's how we want to live our lives. We want to do it in a way that honors him. So what would Jesus do? This is the question we want to ask. What would Jesus do? What does love require of me? I want to give you six things found in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Really, really quick. Six things. You might want to write them down. And I think these six things are the proper optical lens adjustment 
to see clearly the direction you're supposed to walk in in your own life. What, what do you do? What's the lens that you need when you're, when you're wading through cultural complexity? When you're wading through an issue that you haven't found a specific answer in scripture about? And you've got to make a decision. You've got to pattern your life. You've got relationships that, that you're wanting to pursue. You have careers you're wanting to walk in. You have, you have habits and lives and, and, and things that you're wanting to enjoy and, and, and you're wanting to find joy in life. In life. What, what is the proper lens? How do we keep moving down the path and not ending in the ditch of lawlessness and ending in the ditch of legalism? What is this lens that we need? What are the glasses with the perfect measurements for us? I, I think... There are maybe six that I would offer to us found in chapter 8, 9, and 10 as it relates to the, the proper lens, the law of love, when it comes to your own personal freedoms in life. What's right and wrong? What's good for you and what's not good for you? N number one is this. The right lens is to acknowledge personal freedom exists. Just to acknowledge that there is a difference between a biblical conviction or a biblical command and a personal conviction. There's a difference. Biblical command. You don't get to argue with that. You submit your life and your lifestyle and your opinions and your life. You submit to those biblical commands. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is what we do. But then there are also personal convictions that are good practices for you in your person in a way that God has said, this is what I want you to do in a way to honor me. And sometimes they're forever and sometimes they're seasonal. But personal convictions are different. So what do we need to do? We just need to acknowledge that there are those lenses, that there are the differences. That's step number one, is to acknowledge the difference. There, there were three attitudes that were happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 as it relates to food and meat specifically that were offered to idols. That was the question that they had specifically. Hey, tell us, should we eat some steak that we bought in this marketplace or should we not? Like, what are we allowed to do here, Paul? Tell us what's going on. And there were three kind of ideas as it related to this one topic. One idea or attitude was, hey, meat is good. Jesus made everything clean. Nothing is unclean anymore. We can eat and drink and it's fine. Meat is good. I am free in Christ and I can enjoy some meat with liberty. It's wonderful. That was one attitude. A second attitude that they had was meat is evil. Eating that meat will invite evil spirits into your body and you will become possessed because you have now ingested, and what you eat defiles your body. So there's this argument, this meat that was used in these celebrations and these festivals that were all about pagan gods, and this meat was used in that way. They would cut off pieces and sell it in the marketplace so that everyone else could enjoy. It was like all the leftovers of what wasn't used here. They kind of like, here, take the doggy bag to go. Let me buy that for you, right? Like, it's, is it good? Is it bad? If, if I eat the meat, am I worshiping this, this idol? Because I don't really want to worship the idol, but like, I really like the meat. And there was a third idea, a third attitude. Okay, meat isn't a sin. I know I could eat the meat, but I'm really struggling because I used to live in that life. And I used to worship that pagan God. And, and I'm having a hard time fellowshipping and being at the same dinner party where this meat is being served among brothers and sisters of Christ, and, and, and I, I'm really having a hard time, let me take it another level, I'm really having a hard time hanging out with the same friends that I used to hang out with because those friends are always doing drugs and getting drunk and partying, and that's not the lifestyle I want. I want a different life, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. 
feel a little bit torn and weak in this moment. These were the attitudes that were happening, and Paul was trying to help them understand, don't get caught in lawlessness, don't get caught in legalism, stay on the path and recognize that there are some things that are, are, are biblical command, and there are some things that are personal conviction, and this meat issue is a personal conviction issue. And, and at, the, at the root of wanting other people to live according to our personal convictions is a desire to control every person and everybody around us. And religion is a terrible slave and a terrible manipulator. But the relationship that Jesus invites us into is one of freedom and joy and liberty, but full submission to what is biblically commanded. Lens number two. The right lens is to bless others and honor them, not begrudge them. Again, it gets to the control issue. This is where in chapter 9, verse 1 through 18, he's talking about funding ministry and pastors who were were making money because they were traveling and preaching and uh, itinerating around. and, 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 And I guess maybe for them, they had like preachers and sneakers Instagram count for like Paul and Peter and all these other guys. And they started to begrudge them, and they were really jealous and greedy and envious of what was going on. And, and they were like, it's not even right. They should, those guys ought to be, you know, working like the rest of us. I mean, they preach once a week. It's like they only work one day a week anyways. I mean, what do they know? And there were these attitudes. And what was Paul trying to get at? Listen, listen, listen. Here, here, here's the reality. It wasn't so much about the specifics, although they're great specifics. I think you should read them. Here was, here was the lens he was trying to get us to understand in this decision that you're trying to make. Is, should I do this or should I not do this? Is this good or is it not good? Here's the lens. Is this going to bless somebody and honor somebody? Or am I going to be greedy and begrudge somebody? What is it? We want to bless other people, not live with greed in our own hearts. We have to check our motives. We have to be willing to rejoice with others when they rejoice. The right lens is to bless and honor, not begrudge other people. Number three, the right lens is moderation and health. Moderation could be a different amount. Health might be a different size. It's different for every person. What is healthy to you might be unhealthy to me. What is unhealthy to you might not hurt me. Is this something that I can do? Is this activity, this approach, this life, is it honoring moderation and health? It's a lens that we need to think when we're making the decision. Do we do this? Do we not do this? Do we go here? Do we not go? Do we say this? Do we not say this? Do I, add, do I allow my life to go down this path or do I not allow my life to go down it? Moderation and health. Moderation and health. Number four, the right lens The law of love has a lens that says, I need to remember that I need grace too. Not that I'm so arrogant that I'll never trip up, I'll never make a mistake. No, no, in in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting at verse 1, he says, Brothers and sisters, don't you remember the children of Israel? They got stuck in the desert too. They made some bad decisions too. They had to deal with some some punishment too. 
You're not above it. The minute you start judging the snapshot of somebody else's life, you need to remember, maybe I ought not say anything because I need grace too. And if we're always trying to control an outcome or get people to do what we want, fine, go for it, say it, say whatever you want. We mess up and we are not beyond failure. But for the grace of God, there go I. Friend, you are one improper text message away from committing adultery. You are one more drink away from driving drunk and killing someone. You are one more step away from getting in trouble from bezeling money. You are one step away from getting the ax at your job. You're just one step. We are all but for the grace of God. There go. We, we all fall short of the glory of God. And so before we open our mouth, before we get upset, before we confront somebody else, we need to check our own heart and remember, I'm gonna need some grace too. I'm gonna wake up and have a case of the Mondays one day too. Number five, what's the right lens? How do we filter these decisions? How do we look at these issues and cultural complexities? Number five, the right lens is remember that God is greater. God is greater than a struggle. God is greater than any demonic influence. God is greater than anything that you face. Let's not have such a low view of God that we have to walk on eggshells. Oh my gosh, if we eat a piece of candy on Halloween, we're worshiping the devil, no. Really, your, your salvation and security, are, are that fragile? God's greater. God's greater than your mistake. God's greater than your hiccup. God's greater than your hang-up. God's greater than any addiction, any struggle, anything that you face. Our God is greater and can set you free. He can help you. He can protect you. He can walk with you. He's more powerful. We don't have to live in fear. He can deliver us from the evil one. Holy Spirit in you is greater than he that's in the world. We don't have to go live in a bubble of Christianity because there's evil in the world. Your God is big enough. He's big enough. We don't have to go live in our own Christian subcontext of bubble world. God's greater. He's greater. Number six. How do we view these cultural complexities? The right lens is to always point people to Jesus without adding difficulty and in a way that brings glory to God. It's, it's the glory of God that we're after. It's the honor of Jesus that we're after. It's, it's honoring him that we're after. I don't wanna become a stumbling block to somebody else. And so if there's somebody I'm in deep relationship with and they're struggling with something, I'm gonna do everything I can to help them move closer towards Jesus than, than adding rules or freedoms that are gonna trip them up in my life. I'll abstain, I'll chill, I'll not talk about that subject. If it's a, if it's a trigger subject, I'm just not gonna talk about it. 
I have the right to talk about anything I want, but I value the relationship too much to always be dropping the trigger and watching the bomb go off. But, but if I'm in close relationship with them enough, and I know that that ideology or that thought process or that activity or that habit, I, and I mean, I'm in deep relationship with them. Not like I've met them one time or I attend the same church as them. Like I actually have a relationship with them. I wanna help them see Jesus beyond the struggle that they're facing right now, beyond the, the habit that they've fallen into, beyond the ideology that they've bought into. I, I wanna help them, absolutely. But at the end of the day, it's not about me being right and then being proved wrong. It's about them seeing Jesus clearer and me not being the reason that they don't see Jesus clearer. I refuse to let my political opinion be a stumbling block for any person to see the good news of Jesus. I refuse. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? What's the lens? What would he do? Here's some questions you can ask yourself this, this week to help decide whether your lens is living in the way of Jesus or doing what Jesus, just some, some questions you need to ask yourself. What does scripture command of me? If scripture gives a clear command, that's what we do. That's it. Another question, what does God, Father, Son, and Spirit want me to do in this moment? May not be wrong if I post this thing. Maybe it's not the best thing to post right now. Maybe he wants me to take this and it just for me and not for anybody else. I'm just gonna hold on to that for a little while. What does God want me specifically to do? Will this benefit other people? Or is it really only benefiting myself? Do I think it's benefiting other people, but I'm really just trying to get the own value and my own validation and to satisfy my own thirstiness within me? Is that why I'm doing it? great question what is motivating me to do this it's another question will this hinder my growth if i do this if i say this if i if i start this way will this hinder my own growth and finally will it hinder somebody else's growth all questions we need to take before god and simply say jesus what would you do what would you have me do in this moment is the bible clear what do you say and this is how we hold to a tension that keeps us going down the road of holy living in a way that upholds biblical commands and links ourselves to personal convictions, but that's for us to move forward. On your way out today, I want you to pick up one of these WWJD bracelets. We're gonna kick it old school for a little while. A little throwback. I don't know. I just figure it's time that we start living with Jesus as our main priority rather than yourself as your own priority. So what would he have you do? What, is law, what does the law of love require of you? Would you stand with me as we come to the table of the Lord? Here at Faith Church, we serve an open communion, which simply means this, that if you are a follower of Jesus and your faith is in him, we welcome you to the table. You don't have to be a member of the church here or a partner here. This, we invite you as followers of Jesus to come to the table. Go ahead and open them all up and we'll get all the noisiness out of the way. At home, I hope you've got some elements nearby. And if you don't, would you just pause for a minute and hang here with us?
And I want us to examine our heart. Are there some things that we've confused for biblical commands that really were personal convictions that God was asking you to do? Are there some things that you thought were personal preference, but they actually have clear articulation in scripture and you need to submit your will to the word of God? You might be on either side of that. Would you just pause for a minute and ask God, God, what are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? What are you saying to me today? Hear these words from the Apostle Paul in chapter 10. I'm going to read it out of the message paraphrase because I like how it words it. I assume I'm addressing believers now who are mature. Draw your own conclusions then. When we drink the cup of blessing, aren't we taking it into ourselves, the blood, the very life of Christ? And isn't it the same with the loaf of bread we break and we eat? Don't we take into ourselves the body the representation of the very life of Christ. There's no low for our manyness becomes oneness. Christ doesn't become fragmented in us. No, we become whole, unified in Him. We don't need to reduce Christ to what we are. He raises us to what He is. This is what we believe, that we become united with Christ because of our faith in what Jesus did at the cross. Your heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you just take this bread and said, Lord, would you make me whole as I take this bread of your body? Go ahead. now with the cup, would you just simply say, Lord, it's your blood. Would you cleanse me and make me whole and holy? And then take the juice. Father, here we are, your people, many parts, one body. Would you help us to walk in your ways this week? Would you help us to honor you, celebrate you, and to put you first? In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. And all the people of God said, amen. Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If, if you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.